Lord, thank you for blessing us as a church that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, thank you. And we think of Slava and Alina and Dima and your church in Minsk and, out and throughout uh, Belarus. Lord, we pray for the violence and the oppression of the civil government to stop that you would give courage to your church and wisdom to know how to share the gospel and make disciples in very turbulent times. For so many people who've suffered so much, Lord, minister to them. And Lord, as we pray these things for Belarus, it reminds us of our own country too. Lord, so much division and unrest and hurt and anger and we can't fix it, but you can. And so, Lord, we plead that, uh, that you would heal our land. Lord, your word says you give us a ministry of reconciliation, that you have reconciled us to God and to each other. So, Lord, help us to, to go out this week so full of you that we carry out our ministry of reconciliation, trying to reconcile hostile sinners to you and to each other. So as we open up your word today, teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've shared with you one of the things I'm good at is catching every traffic light red, but one benefit from that is I get to read a lot of bumper stickers, and, and I was behind a, a car this week, and here's the bumper sticker I saw. It said, Giant Meteor 2020 just ended already, <laughs> and I thought, man, that's a really pessimistic worldview, isn't it? that what you're hoping for is what, that a meteor would hit and just end it all. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just saying, I am so thankful to be a Christian, aren't you? Because Jesus does life with me. He's in me and he's with me and for me. And you know what he tells me? Do not fear, for I am with you. Is that good? Jesus brings hope into every situation that I face, and he's continually reminding me, do not fear, for I am with you. And as he fills me with hope, he gives me the privilege of being able to offer hope to others. And so I want to do that to you today. Listen, if you are here today and your heart is fearful, maybe over the, the virus or over all that you see happening in our country, you are in the right place, because today, if you'll stay awake... Jesus is going to minister to your heart because he says, do not fear for I am with you. So if you've been longing for something to bring comfort to your heart, listen, stay awake. You're in the right place, okay? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. We've been walking through the book of Genesis together and we've been learning some of the great heroes of the faith. Let me help you here. I have one Savior. His name is Jesus. I have many heroes. Heroes are very flawed people, but they inspire us. Heroes don't have to be perfect to inspire us. And so we've been getting to know great heroes of the faith like Abraham and his wife Sarah and how they had a son named Isaac. And last week, Dave did a great job sharing how Isaac has a wife named Rebecca and they had two kids, Jacob and Esau. But where we are is a real transition point in the Bible. It's like a relay race, and the baton is being passed from one hero, Abraham, to another, Isaac. We're in that um, exchange zone. So in Genesis chapter 26, 
we begin reading in verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the pre previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, so Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now, uh, I talk to people who, who, who think we live in uniquely bad times. And so I want you to understand something. We live in a fallen, sin-scarred world, and life has always been hard. It has always been hard. We imagine a day when it's so easy. Isaac lived in a time of famine. A famine. Can you imagine that? He has a big household. His father had about a thousand people in the household. He's got a thousand mouths to feed, and they're in a what? They're in a... Where do you get food to feed a thousand people in a famine? Life has always been hard. It's always put fear into people's heart. There was a famine uh, in, in that time. So we meet a man here too named Abimelech. If you've been with us, you say, that name sounds familiar. A hundred years before, Abraham interacted with a man named Abimelech. Uh, probably not the same guy. He, he, the name Abimelech's probably like the name Herod in the New Testament, a family name, so it's another Abimelech, or it's a title rather than a person. And notice he, he's a Philistine. The Philistines started probably in Crete, and they crossed the Mediterranean Sea, and they settled in Canaan, and they would become increasingly hostile toward the people of God. At this time, they're known as Hebrews. A little later, they'll be known as Israelites, and a little later today, we would know them as Jews, the same people of Hebrews to Israelites to Jews. Now, where is this taking place? Uh, look at the map here. See this Dead Sea? Just to the west of that is Beersheba. That's where Abraham or Isaac starts out. And he goes to Gerar. See where Gerar is? There's more water there that the famine won't be so bad. So he's moving from Beersheba to Gerar. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him. This is the first time that the Bible records that God had appeared to Isaac since he appeared to Isaac and his father Abraham when Isaac was stretched out on that altar about to die. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. Now, his father Abraham faced a famine and know what God told him? What did he tell him? Go down to Egypt. And, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and when there's a famine during Jacob's age, you know what God told him? Go down to Egypt. <laughs> and in between there, there's Isaac, and God says what? Don't go. That puzzled me, and our church is very blessed to have Dave as our pastor of disciple-making. And when I get puzzled, I often go to Dave, and I say, Dave, I read three things. Don't go, or do go, don't go, and, and, and do go. How, how do I make sense of that? And Dave says... Here's the lesson in there. I said, well, what is it? He says, do what God says. <laughs> That's always a good plan, isn't it? Just do what God says. So, so in between two do-goes, he says, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you. That's really what we're going to be exploring today. Do not fear, for I am with you. Here's that promise. I will be with you. Notice, and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will extend the oath to which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, 
and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I will be with you. I will bless you and make you a blessing. Many of you know this sounds familiar. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, and he established his covenant, that binding promise, with Abraham and his descendants after him. And here he's repeating the covenant, and he's confirming it. And we learn that his covenant has two lines. There's a top line, and there's a bottom line. And the top line is, I will bless you. Got it? What's the top line? It's what? I will bless you. One more time, I will what? bless you. And then the bottom line is what? That you shall be a blessing. So what's the bottom line? It's what? That you shall be a blessing. So God's promise is I'm going to bless a people and then bless the world through that people. He's confirming and repeating this covenant to Isaac. And notice when he says, by your descendants, in one of your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. One day, one of the descendants of Abraham or of Isaac and Rebekah, would be the savior of the world who would bring salvation to all the nations. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Listen, Abraham believed me and he followed me. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. This sounds what? It sounds what? Familiar, doesn't it? Haven't we heard this before? Remember what Yogi Berra said? It's deja vu all over again. This is exactly what his father Abraham had done. His father did it twice, once in Egypt and once with Abimelech. He said his sister was his wife, to, or his wife was his sister to save his own neck. And Isaac does the same thing. Listen, our heroes inspire us. Sometimes they get it right. But listen, our heroes are not saviors, and Isaac didn't always have it right. Now notice, at that day, the people in power could look throughout the land and, and notice all the good-looking ladies, and then they would take them for themselves. And so that's what Isaac is afraid of. Now, ladies, some of you are a little sensitive about your age. I want to encourage you a little bit. You know how old she was? She's 60 years old. And Isaac's still worried that, that the king's going to be after his wife, right? So listen, she's beautiful at 60, right? It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. They weren't interacting like brother and sister. And if you have the King James Version, it's the best. You know what the King James Version says? That, that Isaac was sporting with his wife. <laughs> that sounds English, doesn't it? He was sporting with her. Uh, he was sporting with his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches the man, of, the man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know what I love here? We have a pagan king who's instructing what? The believer in the story about the right place for sex and all. Isn't that great the way God is, is working through Abimelech to correct Isaac? 
But what I want you to see here is God protects his people. God has a plan for Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob, and God is protecting them. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. This is the first time we read about God's people practicing agriculture. Before this, it's all about keeping the flocks. But here they began to farm in a hundredfold. Doesn't that sound familiar to some of you? Remember the parable of the poor and the sower in the soils? And some increased 30-fold and some increased 60-fold and some increased a hundredfold, and that day a hundredfold increase would be a huge return on uh, yield for a crop. And so God was blessing Isaac, just like he said. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. So he's becoming rich during what? During a famine. Wow, he's getting rich even during a famine because God is blessing him. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Listen, men hate God. There is a hostility in people toward God, and that hostility makes no sense at all. Isaac and Rebekah are in the land, and there's wells, and God is blessing them. You'd expect them to say, what? Why don't you stay? Why don't you stay in the land so we can share in those blessings? But what are they wanting to do with the people God is blessing? They're wanting to what? To drive them out of their land. Now, you're Isaac. What is Isaac experiencing at the moment? He is experiencing two things, isn't he? He's experiencing what? What is he experiencing from God? He's experiencing blessing from God, but what's he experiencing from people? What? Hostility. At the same time, listen, Isaac is experiencing God's blessing and the hostility of people at the same time. Uh, isn't that what we experience? Isn't it? When we decide to follow Jesus, what do we expect to experience? Do we not experience God's blessings, don't we? And yet at the same time, don't we often encounter what? The hostility of people? That's exactly what Isaac was experiencing. He was experiencing blessings and hostility at the same time. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. In a desert land, wells are valuable. They're priceless. They're expensive. But their hostility was so great against God and his people, they stopped up wells they could have used. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, a spring, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Isaac because they contended with him. They named the well contention. So what was happening? The people were what? They were what? Quarreling, weren't they? 
Sometimes we think we live in unique times. Smiley, we live in a time where our country is so divided. Do you know that people have always been divided? What was happening there? They were what? They were quarreling over a well, weren't they? They were divided, weren't they? And they were divided, what, between the Philistines and the believers, weren't they? There was a quarrel going on. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. The quarrel continued. There was an open hostility toward God and his people. They named this one Sitna, which means enmity and opposition. What did they face? They faced in the world enmity and opposition. And he moved away. And from there, from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, for he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. He named it the well Rehoboth, which means ruminous. There's room for us. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. He went back where the journey began. The Lord appeared to him that the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't you love that? He didn't say what I was the God of Abraham. He said what I am. And you know what that means, don't you? It means what that Abraham is alive and he's with God, right? I am the God of Abraham, your father Abraham. You know the other thing that's so interesting God is not embarrassed to identify himself with us. But aren't we often embarrassed to identify ourselves with God, aren't we? I mean, sometimes aren't we a little shy about speaking up about our faith because we feel ashamed? God identifies himself with us without shame. I am the God of your father Abraham. Now here it is. Do not fear, for I am with you. The most repeated command in the Bible is... No, it's not judge not lest you be judged. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not fear. Over 365 times it's do not fear, do not be anxious, do not worry. 365, it's almost like God put one in there for what? For every day because we need it every day, don't we? But I want you to look at what it says here. He doesn't say do not fear because nothing bad will happen to you, does he? He, no, no, he does not say that because at that moment, what was Isaac and Rebekah experiencing at that moment? They were experiencing what? A famine, and they were experiencing open hostility from the people in the land. That's what they were facing, right? Um, isn't that kind of like us? I mean, we face a, a, a virus and, and, and divisions in our country, right? Isn't that what we face? But he didn't say, do not fear because nothing bad will happen to you, but he does say what? What does he say? What? I will be with you. I am with you. <laughs> wow. For I am with you. And you say, well, well, what does that mean? Then notice what he says. In the midst of a broken, sin-scarred world, in the midst of a famine, in the midst of a virus, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of host hostility, I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. What does he say? In the midst of all of this, I'll be with you and I will bless you. That's the top line. And then the bottom line, he says, and you will be a blessing. I want you to understand God's plan. God's plan to save the world is not through a civil government. It's through his people. He calls us to gather and he says, I will bless you. And then I want to send you out to be a blessing to all the nations. 
I will bless you and multiply your descendants. Now, how did Isaac respond? So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. And you know what? That's exactly what you've done today, isn't it? What have we done today? We've, what, we've gathered together what to worship the Lord. And that's exactly how Isaac responded when God made him this promise. He worshiped the Lord. He built an altar. He worshiped the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Oh. Do not fear, for I am with you. Every week at Good News, we share the gospel with you and we share bad news and good news and what our part is in that. And, and often when we share the bad news with you, we, we tell you, cheer up. You're much worse than you think you are. And you know that's true. But I want to go beyond that today and I want to say, cheer up. The world is way more broken than you think it is. We live in a broken world. Everything in our world is broken because of sin. We live in a world that's hostile, hostile toward us. There are viruses that are deadly. There are hurricanes and tornadoes, right? The world is broken. That's why it's so hard to live, isn't it? And listen, not only is the world broken, but people are broken, way more broken than we want to acknowledge. If you'll study history, history is one long story of man's hostility toward God and toward one another, isn't it? Rape, domestic violence, war, racism, isn't it true of all of history in the world today? And it's not just nature, it's not just others, it's what? It's, it's all of us, right? Romans 3, 23. Will you say it with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? And you see what it's saying is God is glorious and we're not. We're broken. So cheer up. Nature, people, and all of us are way more broken than we ever imagined. And then the good news, cheer up. God's love is so much greater than you ever imagined. Remember? Remember the, the teenage girl who was engaged? Remember? And then she's pregnant, and she tells her fiancé, yes, it's true I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. It's by the Holy Spirit. He found that hard to believe, right? So the angel comes and says, no, it's true, it's true. So let's pick up the story, okay? Uh, the angel appears to Joseph and says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, the Savior has come. That descendant of of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We've been waiting for all these years. He's come, he's come. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Everything in the Old Testament pointed toward this moment. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Oh, Jesus Virgin born, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. Fully God, fully man, come to save us from our sins, living a perfect life for us, going to the cross, taking on himself all of our sins, dying in our place, rising on the third day, proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us eternal life. He offers us the chance to be forgiven of all of our sins. He offers us the chance to do life in a broken world with Him and then to do eternity with Him on a new world where everything sad becomes untrue. Isn't that what He said? 
When Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus says, I want to move into you and be your Savior and forgive you of all your sins. Let's do life together. Listen, let me be Lord of your life. I can run your life better than you. Let's do eternity together on a new earth. Listen, don't you want to be forgiven? Wouldn't you rather do life in a frightening world with Jesus than without him? Don't you want to spend eternity with him on a new earth? And what does he ask us to do to receive him as Savior and Lord? And that starts when we admit we're sinners. Lord, it's not just the world that's broken. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Lord, I've sinned against you. Will you do that? And then it moves on to believing. Jesus, I believe you died and rose for me. You are the Savior. And then we receive him as Savior. Come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. Come in and be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. If you haven't, won't you? You can do that where you are. Come up after the service. I'd be glad to assist you. Have you done that? Do, do you hear the game changer that happens? Jesus says, if you'll open the door, what does he say? I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And when Jesus moves in, he says, I'm never leaving. And when he moves into us and we dine with him, know what he tells us? He says what? Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Isn't that what? Isn't that what we learned back in Genesis? Isn't that what we learned? What, what did God tell Isaac? I will be with you. I'll be with you. That's what Jesus tells us when he moves in. And what did he tell them? I will bless you. And what does he tell us? I will bless you. And then what does he say? You'll be a blessing. And that's what he says to us. I'm going to live in you so that you can be blessed and a blessing to others. Isn't that what he's saying in verse 24? Do not fear, for I'm with you. Yes, you live in a broken world. Lots of bad things happen every day. I'm with you, and I've got a purpose for your life. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. My plan is to bless you and to bless the world through you. Uh, I'm reading a great book uh, by Clarence Thomas called uh, your, My Grandfather's Son. I, I like heroes. Heroes inspire me. Do you know that Clarence Thomas was born in 1948 in Savannah in, in the midst of racism when the KKK was very active in Savannah? And he goes from being born to a single mom in the midst of poverty to a Supreme Court justice. Uh, when he's six years old, his mom uh, hands him over to her parents to, to, to raise him because she can't raise him. So he's raised with his grandparents. Now, I love this. So he goes to live with his grandmother, who he would call Aunt Teeny, Aunt Teeny, though it looks like Tina, but Aunt Teeny. And when he moves in, his grandfather says, rule number one in this house is Aunt Teeny is always right. <laughs> so he comes into a family, and the family says, in this family, Aunt Teeny is always right. Come on, guys, can we talk? That's true, isn't it? The one dad, I heard him speaking once, and he said, listen, what I've learned in life is that when mom ain't happy, what? Nobody's happy. And then he went on to say, and when dad ain't happy, nobody cares. <laughs> what changed Clarence Thomas's life? He grew up in a home where Aunt Teeny is always right. When Jesus moves into us and he says, do not fear for I'm with you. You know what he says? I'm always right. Follow me. And when we say, well, why should we follow you? 
Because Jesus would say, not only am I always right, but if you'll follow me, I will bless you and make you a blessing. Listen, you want to learn how to live in the time in which we live? Follow Jesus. He's always right. And when you do, he says, I will bless you and make you a blessing. Now, the second rule in his family, and this was so good, what enabled someone to go from where he started to where he ended? You know what really, the, the, the rule I really loved was this. The second rule was he grew up in a home where no excuses were allowed. No excuses allowed. And here's what his grandfather taught him. Old man can't is dead. I helped to bury him. Every time he had an excuse, his grandfather would say, Old man can't is dead. I helped bury him. And you know what happens on the day Jesus moves in to dine with us? Know what Jesus tells us? Old man can't is dead. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say, I helped to bury him. You know what Jesus said? He said what? I buried him. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives if we listened to the one who's moved in and taken over and said, listen, old man can't is dead. I buried him. You know what I hear all the time from Christians? I can't. I can't be forgiven for what I've done. That doesn't come from Jesus. I can't change. My sins are too big. I can't make a difference. There's too many bad people in the world. I can't make it to heaven. I can't. No, no, when we dine with Jesus, know what Jesus tells us every day? Old man can't is dead. I buried him. And repentance means we change, change our mind, and we need to replace I can't with I can. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? The Bible says what? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. <laughs> I can be forgiven. <laughs> It's not because I deserve it. It's because God died on the cross for my sins and rose to prove it. I can overcome sin, not because I'm so great, but the one who rose from the dead moves in, and he's killed. I can't. I can make a difference. Yes, we face formidable foes, but listen, Jesus lives in me, and what does the Bible say? You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Listen, Jesus moves in. Old man can is dead. I can make a difference because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Um, I can get to heaven because Jesus always finishes what he starts. So let's take that. Let's take that, that do not fear for I'm with you, that Jesus is always right, and, and that old man can is dead. And, and let's look at how that changes people's lives. Let's take Moses. Moses is 80 years old, right? He's 80 years old. He's retired. He's ready to just play golf and take it easy. And God appears to him and says what? I want you to what? Lead my people out of Egypt. And what does Moses say? What? Help me. He says what? I can't. His response to God was just like ours. He said what? I can't. Anybody remember why he said that? My mouth doesn't work. So... Exodus 4, verse 11, The Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, I will what? Be with you. See, over and over again, there's the theme. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Listen, old man can is dead. I'll be with you, and I'll give you the words to say. And so Moses goes, and his life counts, and he leads Israel out of Egypt, right? 
Then we come to Joshua, right? Um, Joshua watched Moses lead for 40 years, and he watched people whine and complain for 40 years. And God says, I want you to be the one. And remember, Joshua had gone with Caleb into the promised land 40 years earlier, and there were big people in the land. Remember, remember what they said they were like? That they were like giants, and we are like, go ahead, grasshoppers in their sight. I can't. I can't follow Moses. The people are too big. You ever say, I can't? You know what Jesus says? Old man can't is dead. I buried him. So in Joshua 1.9, here's what we read. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God, what, is, is with you wherever you go. And listen, you know what Joshua did? He led the Israel like to cross the Jordan River and drove out the enemy. You know why? Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? And then you go a little bit longer in the Bible and you get to a prophet named Jeremiah. And when God calls Jeremiah, you know how, Jer you know how Jeremiah responded to God's call? What do, what do you think he said? What? Come on. Hey, you picked it up, right? He said what? I can't. And you know why he said I can't? I'm too young. So when Jeremiah... <clears throat> Maybe you thought God didn't know how old he was, huh? So, so God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. No, I'm so thankful to be a Christian. We're surrounded by people who think they've come from nothing and they're headed to nothing. And we believe what? That God knew you in your mother's womb. And that God designed you for a purpose. He made you, you. He made Jeremiah for a purpose. Don't you think God knew what he could do with him? Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For I am what? I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Jesus says, listen, old man Ken is dead. Old man Ken is dead. Listen, I'm with you. You can do it. You can do it. And he did. We come to the New Testament. <clears throat> Don't we? We come to the New Testament. There's 11 disciples, and Jesus said, go and make disciples. What of all the nations? What do they say? What? We can't. This is too big. We don't know the languages. How could we ever do this? And what did Jesus say? And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, I've got a little authority on my side. What did he say? He said, what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, not because of what you can do, but because I'm with you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, what? I am with you, even to the end of the age. I want to encourage you. When Jesus moves in, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Listen, when Jesus moves in, listen, he, he says, I'm always right, so follow me, and if you will, I'll bless you and make you a blessing. He, when he moves in, he says, listen, old man can't is dead. I can do, I can do, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I want to turn a corner here and, and move from teaching you to give you an action step this week. And the action step I want you to take this week is I just want you to preach the gospel. 
I want you to preach over and over the week, this week what you heard. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. And I want you to preach it to yourself first because no one knows it, needs it more than you do. When you wake up and spend time with Jesus, and by the way, how could you start a day in a broken world without first spending time with Jesus? No wonder your life is filled with fear, right? We need to wake up and spend time with Jesus and preach the gospel to ourselves. Do not fear, for I am with you. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're with me. I'm so thankful I get to follow you. I'm so thankful that old man can't is dead and that I can. Help me to take the next step. Help me to walk in joy. And that's how we should start the day. And then as we go through the day and fear grips us. Has that ever happened to you? Recently I was going through a day and, and I was really enjoying life and then I had a conversation and the conversation just filled me with fear. You ever have those? It just starts like in my stomach and it gets tight and I feel just like Isaac or, I, or Yogi Bear. It's deja vu all over again. I've seen this before, and listen, my whole heart was wrecked, and I'm filled with fear and worrying anxiety. Anybody ever do that? What do I do? I, I preach the gospel to me that I preach to you. I just preach, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. And in moments like that, you know what I say? Lord, help me to take the next step. Because that's all I want when I'm really filled with fear. Just help me take the next step. Lord, help me to take the next step and help me to enjoy the adventure. Help me to take the next step and help me to enjoy the adventure. So listen, this word, we preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Do not fear for I am with you. And then this week, I want you to preach the gospel to one another. When you see someone from our church, maybe it's small group, or maybe you're having lunch, or you're playing golf together, and they express their fear, preach the gospel. Remember what we learned? Remember what we learned? Do not fear, for I am with you. And this week, when you're with a Christian, and they're telling you, I can't, won't you preach the gospel to them? Remember what we heard? Remember, Jesus says, do not fear, for I'm with you. Remember how when Jesus moved in, he said, oh, man, can't is dead. Listen, you can, you can. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Preach the gospel to yourself and to one another and preach the gospel to a lost person. Why not this week really pray about a gospel, a, a gospel conversation? This past week, I, I, I really asked a lot of people this question. I would just ask them, what's the most frequent command in the Bible? Uh, and, and it's really fun to ask that because most people think it's judge not lest you be judged. But say, no, no, the most frequent command in the Bible is do not fear. You ever wonder why that's repeated so much? Isn't it because so many things can go wrong and do go wrong every day in life? And listen, that's why I'm so thankful to be a Christian because I live in the same world everyone else lives in, but I live in this world with Jesus. Wouldn't you rather do life in eternity with Jesus? Or this week, you, th you think this week, in this whole week, you think anyone will share a fear with you? You think they will? Uh, maybe they're concerned about getting sick or maybe they're concerned about all the divisions. If anyone shares a fear with you this week, take a step toward them and say, me too. And then just share with them. Hey, could I share with you what's been so helpful to me? I know Jesus. And when Jesus moved in, he said, do not fear for I'm with you. And I live in the same broken world that you do, but I do life in eternity with Jesus. Wouldn't you rather do life with him? Wouldn't you rather do eternity with him? You can, you know.
you really, really can. Oh, dear people, do not fear, Jesus says, for I am with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that you came to save us from our sins, that you died in our place, and you rose on the third day, and you offered to move in us so that from that moment on we can do life in eternity with you. Listen, if you're tired of doing life on your own and you've never received Jesus, won't you? Won't you just tell him he's here, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Oh, if you've prayed that for the first time, won't you let us know? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray, those of us who have received you, that this week we would realize that we get to do life in eternity with you. We're never alone. Lord, help us to preach the gospel over and over again to ourselves and then to one another and then to the lost. Do not fear, for I am with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.